This is the Lubetkin on Communications podcast, episode number 50 for Thursday, April 18th, 2013. Welcome to the Lubetkin on Communications podcast. My name is Steve Lubetkin, uh, Podcast Steve on Twitter. I am the moderator of these podcast programs, which cover communications, public relations, and journalism, and technology issues. In this program, we present a panel discussion that took place on Wednesday, April 17th, 2013, at Monmouth University in West Long Branch, beyond likes, tweets, and check-ins, what it takes to make real news. The event was jointly hosted by the Jersey Shore Public Relations and Advertising Association and Public Relations Society of America's New Jersey chapter, and it uh, encompassed a panel of media professionals talking about what gets covered, what gets tossed out, and how to make it to the top of the news chain. The panelists for the program were Brian Thompson, a reporter for NBC4 in New York, Channel 4, the NBC affiliate. He's an Emmy Award-winning reporter, and before joining WNBC, he worked for five years in Washington, D.C. He earned a New York Emmy Award for his work on an NBC New York political series. He's been cited by the Associated Press for best coverage by a New Jersey-based correspondent, and he holds a Bachelor of Science degree in broadcast journalism from the University of Florida. Allison Gibson is Assistant News Director at News 12 New Jersey. She's held that post for the past 17 years and worked to launch the channel in March of 1996, establishing it as New Jersey's own television station and a place to go for local news. Before that, she worked as a producer, executive producer, and assistant news director at the CBS affiliate in Roanoke, Virginia. Allison got her start working in public radio and counts meeting boxer Muhammad Ali as one of her big career moments. Sally Pakutka is manager of news aggregation at the Asbury Park Press, which is a New Jersey paper owned by the Gannett chain. She began her career with the press in 2001 as editor of new publications, was named local news editor in 2010, and started her current position in January of this year. Sally's been a newspaper journalist for nearly three decades, previously working at the Courier News in Bridgewater, New Jersey, and the Herald News in Passaic. Gina Columbus is an Asbury Park Press staff writer. She joined Gannett's Talent Development Program in 2012. She's a Metro reporter and also writes lifestyles and features pieces developed on multiple media platforms. Gina launched her career as a newsroom intern at the press. She also served as editor-in-chief of the Monmouth University Outlook. That's the newspaper that got my newspaper career started, the student-run newspaper at Monmouth University. And that's also where Gina got her bachelor's in communications, Monmouth University. And rounding out the panel, Christopher Sheldon, the Long Branch Eatontown editor with Patch.com. Chris has worked at two hyper-local news publications before joining Patch, including the Westerly Sun in Rhode Island and the Ocean Star in Point Pleasant Beach, Ocean County, New Jersey. A lifetime resident of West Long Branch, Chris earned a bachelor's in journalism from the University of Rhode Island. Moderating the panel is Gregory Peter Weber of Garden State Press Clipping Service, a past president of the Jersey Shore Public Relations and Advertising Association. And introducing Greg is Nicole Frame of Monmouth University, who's a vice president of the Jersey Shore Public Relations and Advertising Association. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Monmouth University. My name is Nicole Frame. I work here at the university. I'm assistant director of conference and event services. I'm also the current vice president of the Jersey Shore Public Relations and Advertising Association. So on behalf of everyone, I wanted to welcome you here to the university and thank you for coming. Uh, currently, we're here in our multipurpose activity center. 
This is home to our athletic programs, student events, and professional development events such as these. I wanted to uh, make a, just a special thank you to our panelists for coming today and sharing their knowledge and expertise with us. I know that we're all eager to hear what they have to say. I also wanted to quickly thank my partners at PRSA New Jersey. Thank you so much for all of your help, especially my partner in crime, Professor Chris Simos. She's been wonderful. Um, without any further ado, I wanted to introduce our moderator, Greg Weber, to get everything started. Again, welcome and thank you so much for coming. Good morning, all. Uh, my name is Greg Weber. I know I look like one of the freshmen you might have in one of your classes, but I have been in this field for most of my life. I want to also give a little round of applause for uh, Monmouth for hosting this. It's a tremendous turnout. We have about 75 people here. I want to give a round of applause for Monmouth for supporting us. I have two very quick stories to tell you about uh, my life in the media monitoring business. Uh, I've run my, my company has been around this month 51 years. So I've seen it and heard it and, and all. And I just want to show you where, where we've gone from the left to the right. When I was young, in my probably eight, nine, my father used to come home and if we needed copies of clips to send to clients, two clients for the same clip, We'd go in the basement, we'd take sheets of paper, we'd, we'd put a, a pink ointment on it, we'd do a double negative in a black room with a light, and that's how we created copies. That was the big thing. And we've come a long way now, considering now Photostat machines do about 50,000, 60,000 copies a day in the office. But if you want to fast forward real quick to the electronic side, when we first started to get into the internet with the uh, email, we, my first big client was the Patterson School District. And they used to have to have everything from uh, the Herald, news and the Bergen record emailed to him by nine o'clock in the morning. An email back then was only a single piece. You'd scan it, I'd get on my uh, 486 HP which had a 20 meg hard drive, came with four megs of RAM and I upgraded to eight and CompuAd was very proud of me because it, they said you would never need more than eight megs of RAM on a computer. And we would scan this and it would take about four or five minutes per clip to get up to them and we thought we were like really cutting edge. Then we, the guy called me up from Patterson School District. He said, you've got software. You have to go out to the software store and buy. And it was called Edora Pro. And I said, anyone ever hear of it? There we go. Okay. Edora Pro allowed attachments. And I said, what's an attachment? He said, well, you can scan three clips, put them in one file, and send it at the same time. Wow. We thought, we, you know, that was just amazing for us. We thought that was like the end of technology. This morning, we have, our office opens at five, and there are clients of ours who we put everything on the web. TV, radio will be at their desk by eight o'clock in the morning. And sometimes that's not even fast enough. So we really have come a tremendous distance. And most of it's been in the past few years with the, with the uh, a little bit of copyright issues, but with the patch, the newspapers online, the radio and TV stations now also having online versions also. Um, so I want to introduce the staff, we, uh, the speakers, I'm sorry, uh, we're really tight on time, and I'd like you to do just your quick elevator speech, introduce yourself, and we'll move on. Brian Thompson from uh, NBC Channel 4, and I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> a dinosaur with an iPad, and this is a dinosaur, Blackberry. <laughs> I'm Sally Pukutka with the Asbury Park Press. I'm the news aggregation manager, which is a brand new position, um, and uh, I've been an editor for more than two decades. Uh, not quite a dinosaur yet, I don't think, but, but almost there. I'm Gina Columbus, also with the Asbury Park Press. I'm a reporter there, and I'm also a Monmouth University class of 2012 alum. 
I'm Alison Gibson. I'm with Newstop, New Jersey. I'm their assistant news director, which is just a fancy word for a managing editor. And I've been there since we launched, um, which is about 17 years. I'm Chris Sheldon from the Long Branch Eatontown Patch. I'm the uh, editor, reporter, photographer, site administrator, kind of <laughs> a little bit of everything. So, and I've been doing that for almost uh, about two and a half years now. Thank you very much. The patch, as you know, it's all over uh, AOL. It's owned by AOL still, correct? Yes. And the, the, I know the long-term plan of AOL is to have one patch in every city in the United States. Correct? Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> and you have 20, what do you have, about 120 in New Jersey right now? Um, I know New Jersey has the most. I, I'd say that's probably pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Good guess? Yeah. Wanting, okay. Uh, we're open. We're going to start the conversation off with, I would like to start off on my side, on the social side. And I'm, I'm going to throw it out to the panelists as to what role does social media play in selecting the topics uh, that you report on that day? Brian, you want to start? Um, well, I do check, uh, for example, patch uh, uh, websites, but social media itself, I tweet. Who, who here doesn't tweet? Most everybody else does. Very good. Who here doesn't do Facebook? One, wow, just one, two, two. maybe. That's pretty impressive. That shows you how uh, social media have taken over. I don't necessarily get uh, story ideas from uh, Facebook, um, uh, particular guidance, although I do use it uh, for my own account. Uh, from Twitter, I do look at, uh, it's like a news feed for me. It's like the modern day version of the old AP wire that uh, had a teletype machine that clack, 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 clack. Um, and and uh, so I, I find that useful. Uh, more informative, though, than necessarily story uh, guidance. I mean, you know, a lot of, to me, anyway, a lot of being a reporter is knowing what's going on. So you read the Asbury Park Press, you read the patches, um, you read the Times, the Star-Ledger, or the NJ.com. You read the sources of the news, and it just depends on uh, where you're most acclimated to finding those sources. Uh, insofar as being briefed on things, knowing, knowing what other reporters are digging up, uh, are finding, uh, some of which you might then decide to play off of, uh, you know, because, you know, we don't all have sources that are prepared to give you a story every day. So um, that's, that's my usage of social media. Um, we use Twitter, Facebook, um, pretty much to... Uh, to get sources, to crowdsource. Uh, you know, if, if, and I know Gina will confirm this, if you're doing a story on something and, you know, you want, you want someone in your audience, um, it, it's a quick way to get feedback and, and to find someone who um, that... Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think of an example. Right, right. Um, I, I use Facebook and Twitter all the time to try and gain sources for my story. And uh, as an example, we're preparing for our summer guide, our, our tour, tourism guide that uh, is coming out. And I was looking for summer songs for a playlist that is going on with the story and summer festivals that people go to. And going on Facebook and Twitter is a great way to really gain that kind of audience and get people to participate in your story. 
Um, we actually, you know, if I could lift the veil a little bit, I guess maybe because I am more in the management aspect of it, um, we have a website uh, and um, Twitter and Facebook. We actually get reports of what is trending, um, what everyone who is following us on our Facebook page, our website, and um, our uh, Twitter page is following, and what's uh, the biggest um, story for us um, in social media. And knowing that sometimes can be a revelation because you know those of us in the newsroom might have our heads on another story, and we realize that maybe we ought to be paying a little bit more attention to something that everyone else is talking about. I mean, I, I feel like I use Facebook every day to find story ideas. Um, just a recent example. It's a great way to get in touch with people if you have no other way to contact them, too. Just as an example with the, you know, obviously everything that happened in Boston uh, the other day, uh, we were trying to find local people who were, you know, running in that or involved. And we used, you know, we basically just got a list of names or participants. And a lot of the editors uh, used Facebook as a way to reach out to those people or their families and, you know, to get in, and interview them and ask them, you know, if they were okay and if they would, you know, take a few you know, minutes to talk with us for a local angle on a, what's now, you know, a national story. So uh, I found out about local events, fundraisers on Facebook, things I would have never, that wouldn't, you know, that people that don't have their own public relations people that just post their events on Facebook. Um, so it's a great way to find, like I said, people, find events. Um, Find out news even sometimes. People send me a message on Facebook. Hey, hey, there's a lot of police cars over on, you know, Broadway in Long Branch. So um, I, it's great. It's an invaluable resource. And we also use it, um, you know, Twitter and Facebook to post our stories to reach a broader audience as well. Let's, uh, let's go to 101. How do you like stories pitched to you? I mean, that's got to be something out of the blue. It's just not, you know, Dr. B is going to Haiti to do uh, eye transplants or whatever. Um, but what, what's going to be like, wow, what's going to jump out in what format you want it delivered to you? Uh, I want me to go that way. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so just how do I like stories to be pitched yeah, to phone me? call, email. Sure. Uh, email is always great. I mean, everybody has a phone now. You have your email you know, on your phone, so I'm checking it religiously all day. Um, like actually, the course of this event will probably be the longest. I don't check it, you know. <laughs> um, so I think uh, I think that email is always effective. Um, as far as the type of stories, I like to, as long as it has a local angle to it. If it's in one of the towns I cover, or has at least a regional, you know, angle to it as well. So um, most of the, most of the things I get from PR people, very rarely uh, do I talk to PR people on the phone, with a few exceptions, right? Maybe Tony, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, email is always great with me, so. Um, I have to echo that. Uh, email really is best, only because we're juggling um, phone calls and other uh, issues throughout yeah. the day. Um, I always have to laugh at um, sometimes someone will call and ask for the email address to send us the pitch to then call me to make certain that I've received your pitch um, and then want to know three weeks in advance whether we're going to be there. And, and it doesn't quite work that way. Email is good. Calling to confirm we got it is great. Um, pitching it too far in advance, um, something that uh, is three weeks from now in um, terms of the news business is you might as well tell us it's in 2014. We, we just, uh, we'd like to, I think, want to pretend that we work that far ahead. We do in some stories, but, uh, you know, in a lot we don't. 
Um, and obviously for us, um, the, we're hyper-local station, um, any kind of local news, but it really needs to contain the visual element. Sometimes there are stories that just aren't going to make it because there's no way for us to easily translate it to the, the visual medium. I have to agree with both of them. I think email is definitely the easiest and most effective way. I'm checking my email 24-7 except for right now. And uh, I, I just think it's the most effective method. And as for what to be pitched, uh, I personally, I cover Howell and Farmingdale as my towns and my beat. So I'm always looking to make sure that those stories are in my territory. But if they're not, then I will just pass them on to the appropriate reporter or editor for that. But I always do make sure I read them. and. If they're for me, great, and I'll pitch them myself to my editor, or I will pass along to the appropriate reporter. Um, I, I agree that email is definitely the best way to pitch a story. Um, I, I did jot down some notes at 6 a.m., and um, email was like the big, the big thing here, um, because we get hundreds of emails a day. And um, to avoid the delete button, you need to send it to specific individuals instead of blanketing the newsroom. If, if I see that it's blanketed to the newsroom, I'm going to delete it because someone else has seen it. You know, because you know, uh, we have so many that we just can't look at every single one. Um, also, make sure the subject line is specific and local. Um, it, we're, we're looking as far as, as, far as um, uh, stories from email. Um, we're looking for very local, hyper-local stuff. But we're also looking for trends that, um, for example, um, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, a, a recent one that I got was a, uh, a bakery, a gluten, all gluten-free stuff. And how they pitched it was they gave specific metrics saying, you know, one in a hundred people are now, you know, are diagnosed with disease, blah, 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 and how, you know, um, on your grocery store shelves you see gluten-free stuff, whereas two years ago you never saw that. So they, they, they showed the trend. So we'd be more likely to do that story. So they did their homework, and that's also a big thing, um, you know, to give us that kind of, we, we, we take a closer look at something that, you know, that, that gives us that. Um, hopefully we're already aware of these trends, but, you know, um, we're not aware of everything. So something like that, very specific, um, that has, you know, something very hyper-local, uh, we would definitely tend to take a look at. Um, as far as who to send the email to, you can go on our website and if, if you have a story like uh, Gina was saying in Howell, you send it to the Howell reporter, you send it to the Monmouth County Bureau Chief, you send it to the local news editor. If it has something to do with food, you send it to the food editor. Four people, that's it. Um, you know, that's, that's the way to do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't send blanket, blanket emails. But. You all see the same way that if, if you get an email with five or six names all within your own department, you just delete? Not necessarily. No, okay. uh, uh, um, let me just say first, I agree with Allison, you don't want to do it too far in advance. To me, a week is a, is a good time frame, roughly, to, to send something out uh, at the most. But um, uh, 
the email is obvious. I think the, the uh, easiest comparison to, or analogy to make here is for those of you who have children, when's the last time you talked to them on the phone? For those of you who are you know, 20, 25, when's the last time you talked to somebody on the phone? You text them. That is how you communicate nowadays. Um, so that, I mean, that's always a possibility if you have somebody's phone number. Uh, if you don't, uh, the email is obvious. Uh, Facebook is another way to do it. Simply uh, send a message to somebody. I've, I've gotten a couple story uh, tips on that that I've followed up on. Or tweet. Uh, mine is, happens to be at Brian4NY. Uh, you can just uh, you know, tweet me a message and, and you know, uh, whatever. So those are really all options now. And I'm probably missing a couple new things. Again, dinosaur here. Um, but it's pretty bad when you tweet, do Facebook, and you're still a dinosaur. But uh, that's pretty much me. Um, but, but just I, I think the, uh, the standard here is, oh, I want to call them. And we don't have time for phone calls is the bottom line. Just like you know, your children don't have time for phone calls, or if you are that younger generation, you don't have time for phone calls. It's just not the way people communi communicate anymore. We used to keep track of uh, what went on in the office, and I used to have two hours a day dedicated to phone. And, uh, and a little while ago, we were going over the old the metrics, and also I'm like, I'm never on the phone. But right. you lose two or three hours a day on email. Now, email is great because it's more instantaneous. People watch it. You don't have to call somebody up and say, how are you? How are the kids and everything else? Right. So it gets that along, and it's much more accepted than it was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Where do we see things trending in the next, next few years about uh, in, in your fields? Continue the plug? Do you think there's going to be a new avenue of more Facebook, or is there another source of communication that's going to emerge? Well, that's, that's the million-dollar question everybody wants to know. I mean, there's no question that the information business, and that's essentially what we're in, information, is, is uh, fracturing. I mean, I, I thought about this one when, you know, before I came down here, and I said, uh, you know, to, to be able to predict where it will be, we don't know. We're all, I think, we're all struggling. Uh, you know, to get onto these platforms, to get our content onto the platforms, and then to get the platforms to pay money. Um, you know, it's uh, and a former NBC president talked about broadcast dollars and digital pennies, and there's still not that much revenue that I see coming from the digital side. Uh, you may know more. No, with you're right, Gannett, but. Uh, uh, so we don't know. We don't know how many new platforms. We don't know what the new Facebook is going to be. Um, I think there is a new Facebook out there. Somebody's trying to come up with one. We don't know what the new Twitter would be. Uh, I know that my people are telling me I've got to uh, uh, sign up through Twitter for some new uh, video service where you can do a six-second video, but I've got to go into the city and have it loaded into my iPad and all that sort of stuff. And we've started using that all in the, I can't remember the name of it, but on the last uh, uh, couple of months, I think, is when it started up. Whoever thought you'd see video on Twitter. Um, but again, where's the revenue? So uh, to predict where we're going to be uh, two, three, four years from now is a very hazardous uh, undertaking, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. If, we all, if we all knew that, we'd all be on the IPO right now, right? <laughs> exactly. We do use Twitter and Facebook to um, to get people back to our website, mm -hmm. you know. Well, that's what you want to do, yeah. 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 You want the eyeballs. Right. 
because yeah, it's, it's uh, as I've seen these things evolve. The news we used to get about 700 newspapers in our office, but as the you know the newspapers merged, uh, the the Asbury Park Press, and I'm not I'm not going to key on the Asbury Park Press. At one point in time in the 80s, probably had five different editions, two or three Mammoth and two or three Ocean, and they've merged those down. So they've gone onto the digital platform. Now the digital's platform is great because it's out there. The question is how many people are viewing it, which the press knows, but they may not release to us and then what is its value and that's that's kind of like where I am in my field now and I'm sure a lot of you are or on the PR side you say okay I got this story in the Asbury Park Press but I got this story on the blog and a, and a social side and, and a digital and is that worth the same as a print and I'd love to get a reply on that oh good I feel better <laughs> I, I could say cause I'm strictly digital there's no you know no print for a patch. Uh, sounds kind of funny to say that, but uh, I, I think you know I, we I, we do have a way of tracking our you know number of page views and who's accessing the site, and we can actually see how they're accessing the site too, um, which is interesting. But like you said, as far as you know, revenue on the digital side is something there's still, and I won't talk too much about that, but um, it's it's still a, a kind of a tough nut to crack. I'd say uh, people are kind of nervous. About they're like oh well you know it's in a newspaper it, you know it's actually physically there but you know on a on a website you advertise and it's always there and you can choose where you'd like it to be you can be at the top of the page uh, on the home page it could be inside and in, when you click in a story uh, people can choose what types of stories they'd like their um, ads to appear on like so if you have a you know a, a, a kind of mom and pop type of uh, sporting goods store you could just have it only run with um, sports type stories that are labeled as sports or school stories or something like that. So um, I think that's something that's ever evolving how you get people to advertise digitally. Um, and, I, and like I said, I think it's something that people are still, advertisers are a little uncomfortable about. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes in the future for publications like Patch and others. So um, I think that with. Um newspaper and the newspaper on the web, you're talking about different audiences. So, um, you know, you can get both audiences by having anything that you have in the paper goes on the web. Right. Um, and also on the web, whereas we're limited with space on the physical newspaper, mm -hmm. We can put much more on the web. And web can evolve as, as a story evolves. Also. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we might have, we might have a 12-inch story and one photo in the paper. But then online, we might have two sidebars and a photo gallery and a video. You know, so there's more there. So that has, that has value um, just because of that. And what also is interesting is like the APP, if you could click on a story and you go back two minutes later, the pictures are different. Or, or can be different. I've noticed that, that they'll have pictures on at one point in time, you go back and there'll be pictures from another angle or something, or updated pictures. So it's constantly evolving and changing. You know, what, what I like to do, Greg, if I can, I like to ask people where you get your news from. Let's do, the, let's do it the old-fashioned way. How many people regularly watch any of the local evening newscasts, whether it's 4, 7, 2, Fox, whatever? And I get more than I expected. Okay. How many get a hard copy newspaper delivered to your door? Mm, a 
that's uh, not too bad. How many get more than one newspaper? And we, yeah, still pretty good. How many of you would say that you primarily get your news either on an iPad or a smartphone uh, by looking up any kind of uh, news site, whether it's a old line uh, APP or even a new line patch or whatever, um, but a, a recognized originator of news like that. How many of you uh, check your iPhones, whatever? Put your, put your hands up. Yeah, that's a, that's, look at that. That's almost, almost everybody. Almost everybody. How many of you get your news through Yahoo News, Google News, uh, let's say a non-traditional news source uh, that you turn to perhaps first or second? And I'd say maybe 20% is quite a few more hands over there. That just gives you an idea of how this is all fracturing right now and what we all who have been in the business or uh, with the patch, if they're getting into it, um, you know, are really, are really uh, trying to figure out what the metrics on this are. Now, now my question is on the people who raise your hands who, who get a purely electronic version of a newspaper, which is, you know, anything you've got on, how many will continue to look that if you put a paywall up? How many will pay? We'll pay to get. Right now, if you go to app.com, it's free or, you know, whatever. No, the it's newspaper. not. You have to pay to app.com oh, okay. now. How many of you will pay for the New York Times, Asbury Park Press, Washington Post? Maybe 15%. News 12 is a, a paywall as well for their website. Um, so that... Yeah, APP is now a paywall. Washington Post is going to a paywall. So if you want to advertise on APP.com, how do you reach people who don't subscribe to get the paper? We thought that would be another way to reach other people. That, we also do a lot of print advertising on the Android Press. But the subscribers seem to be one of the pages of the news online, so you're reaching the same audience. The, the, the question is how do you, uh, if you're doing just an online version, uh, how, do, how do you reach people who aren't on a, well, we do have different um, uh, subscriber levels. So some people do just get the online version. You know, that's... Plus, uh, I think it's 10 free reads uh, a month. Uh, yeah, yeah. Something you like can that. Go, you can go I'm not letting out a secret, am I? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Oh, no, it's out. Because it, it does prompt you after, you know, seven. Yeah, that you have three reads that, left yeah, or something yeah, like exactly. that. So, exactly. uh, so there's still, uh, for the paper, for the, or the, it's not a paper anymore, for the Asbury Park Press, um, there's still a, um, an advertising halo, if you will, that if for, if, for example, if, if I were getting a free read out of that and I want to pass that story on to somebody who lives in Denver, Colorado, well, obviously the local advertiser won't impact, but if it's a national advertiser, they'll get a bounce out of that because somebody is reading it in Denver, Colorado because he or she is a friend of somebody who lives in Howell or something like that. So there's, you know, there's, at the same time that 
our base is being eroded, it's also being expanded. It's almost like this uh, dynamic chaos that's going on in our industry. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of other options um, in different layers, and she talks about that. We use that for what we do for over the air because um, maybe you don't want to buy a commercial, and, and frankly, uh, many people don't, but we have the uh, ticker uh, across the bottom of our screen. Um, we have a certain stories that we do put um, in front of the um, paywall um, school closings, most notably uh, in the wintertime, I'm thinking of that, um, elements inside uh, our newscast. So there are uh, layers, and I think it's probably just a matter of trying to find and learn what those layers are. Yeah. This panel is already up on pages, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn right now. A picture and the panel is already up. Posted. Wow. Already posted. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'd really like to say, even though I'm really just starting out in this industry, it's exciting. It's exciting to be starting out at this time where there's so much change. And even though there's so much unknown, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a sense of like anticipation and, and really just going in head first. And even though you don't know exactly where things are going to end up, you're a part of that and you're a part of that adaption. And I think that's really important. Ah, youth. <laughs> it's, I, I find it interesting because when a radio was big thing, then then TV came out and TV was going to kill the radio, and then TV and then the cable was going to kill TV, and then the newspapers were going to kill everything, and the internet was going to kill everything on top of everything else. And you know, you still go back to square one. Radio's still there. I mean, we still. We still, you may not listen around, you know, the Howdy Doody show at night, but it's still, you're in your car. I have an XM satellite in for my, uh, my car, but I still listen to as much local radio as I do. You know, when the PGA tours out, I'll listen to that, but outside, I still listen to it. So the interesting thing for me, and I don't know if we can really have a discussion on this, is now the advertisers are really torn because 20 years ago, if you owned a car dealership, you took a three page ad out in the Asbury Park Press on Memorial Day weekend, come and have sales. Now you've got, outside of the, the print side, you now have the heart, the, the digital side, uh, you have your own Facebook, you have, I mean, the, the, the revenues in which these people must predict on how to invest this advertising dollars, it's got to be tight. I, I know you all probably really aren't on the advertising side. Thank God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's evolving a little bit much. Um, Greg, we have a question over here. Any other questions? Yeah, um, I'm from the uh, public relations end, a uh, little bit of a dinosaur myself. Um, but I, I, we were talking before about pitches and where do you get your pitch ideas from and their email, Facebook, some social media outlets. Um, but how many of the pitches, um, how many story ideas do you get from user-generated user email posts, tweets? I would say a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd say a lot of people. So, so the, the gatekeeping of public, that relationship between public relations and journalism um, has, has changed significantly because um, it's not just PR and um, the reporters, it's users generating story ideas, but then also prompting organizations um, or actually forcing organizations to, to speak to some issues because the users are, uh, they have a voice and there's not a gatekeeper at this well point. users have uh, really users have always had a voice though. I, I mean they've always been able to call in right. with the you know with right. the telephone which you know 
I, I'd say the opportunity is uh, is better. Yeah, I mean now they know they, they can they can follow me on Twitter. They can follow me uh, or you know in News Twelve or whatever on on Facebook. And I suspect Allison, don't you get a lot of tips from the users on your uh, social media sites? We do, and what's really nice, I think in the past um, I may have been the gatekeeper for even the person calling in, but now because our whole staff is on our Facebook page, because I can't sit there and just consume that all day because of all my other jobs. So what's really nice is that one of my, be they an engineer or a writer, uh, may see something or they may get emailed directly from a friend of a friend of a friend. And um, that actually will then get kicked up to one of us who is making the determination whether it's a story we pursue. Okay. Um, Next question. Do you think journalists should merely report, or should journalists instead see themselves as advocates of the story? When you, when you, when you mean by advocates? Uh, it's to get a little bit too, too involved in, in the story more than, more than just reporting the story. Oh, you mean totally immersing yourself in kind of thing, something like that? Yeah. Well, you have to, you know, there's always that separation. You have to kind of keep your opinion out of things, obviously. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to get, to feel for people when there's something. I, in Long Branch, I remember it was, I guess it's almost a year and a half ago, there was a big fire in West End in Long Branch, and um, that was a huge story. And I, I, that was day when that was all I did all day. I, mean, I used to live down the street from there, so I walked there. Um, I was there just all day. And um, that was something that, like I said, that's, you can, you really got involved in that, and we focused on that for probably almost two or three weeks, because uh, that's what people wanted to read. I mean, when I saw the numbers and everything that the stories were generating, um, and then all the stories that came out of just the fire, because then there was the, uh, people had fundraisers, and people were, you know, emailing me, saying, you know, who can I contact to, you know, help these people? You know, I have clothes I want to give to them. So you, you kind of then do become involved with the story, because you're helping people find the, you know, other people to help, uh, put them in and put them in contact. Um, but I think with me, I have so many stories I have to write every day uh, and so many things to keep track of. I, you do have to kind of separate yourself from the smaller things too. So um, otherwise, you know, if the, site doesn't, if the site looks the same Wednesday morning as it does on Wednesday night, then I didn't do my job. If it's the same story at the top of the site, that means I'm just basically, I don't know what I did all day. So, um, like I said, certain stories require more attention, immersing yourself more, uh, and others are more just kind of, they're there for a few hours and then it'll move down the site and eventually go into the archives for my site. I mean, I'll just say that, I mean, we all have, I don't know if we all do, I have personal opinions about a lot of things, um, but I don't think it's my role to be the advocate. Um, I might... Because of my interest in something, I might pick stories uh, that I would rather do because I have that interest. Um, but once I do, it's incumbent upon me to, to play it as straight down the middle as I possibly can and to make sure, I mean, that's just, that's journalism 101 and journalism 102. You know, um, you know so there, there are reporters who love to cover the environment, for example, and there are environmental reporters or court reporters who uh, are always seeking a sense of justice. Does that make them advocates? Well, in, in a way it does, if you want to look at it that way, but once, once you take up that mantle of being 
um, a justice reporter, an environmental reporter, a business reporter, um, you know, then it's incumbent upon you to look for, okay, what are the flaws in um, whatever presentations you're looking at? Um, and, you know, how do other people who, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you got people who say, well, uh, we should save every open acre in New Jersey. Well, how does that affect other people? Like, you know, people would just want to make a living. Uh, you know, you have to look at, at that kind of uh, both sides of the coin situation. I, I think that um, you know, our company, Cablevision, is very conservative uh, and, and does not, um, you know, want advocacy journalism. But I'm going to say there was a big exception. Um, I think our station was really grasping um, for how we could help following Sandy, as I'm sure many of you are, either in some ways just with your community or in a broader scale. And so we um, joined with the Salvation Army and actually did a drive on our air. And I will tell you that in my 17 years there, that was never heard of before. We don't do telethons and things like that, but it was a um, story of such impact uh, to our viewers and uh, to our audience. We, we felt compelled. We had to act and do something in that way. So I, I think it's a tricky question, um, depending on circumstance. Right. The, yeah, the press actually took down its paywall for weeks and weeks yeah. during Sandy. During right Sandy? Sandy? Yeah. They're, they're during, during Sandy, the only way I found out what was going on is I called my brother in Florida, and he went to the, the APP dot site, and he told me what was going on, because... You know, you had no power. You had no power. And, you know, even if you had a radio, you didn't have two, day, two weeks' worth of batteries for them, so... I do. Uh, I, like Brian said, I really think it's important to make sure that you play down the middle as a journalist. And uh, I personally was somebody that was affected by Sandy. So having to go out there and do a lot of Sandy coverage and speak with a lot of homeowners, there were a lot of times where, you know, your emotions would somewhat get in the way. And it was difficult to not feel for these homeowners knowing that you were going through the exact same thing. But, uh, you know, you just always got to make sure you keep your work ethic and your professionalism in check and just always make sure you stay objective in those kind of situations. Uh, recently, past two great stories that were pitched to you that really stand out. Pass. Well, you know what? Um, one that stands out right away off the top of my head, uh, uh, one of your members, uh, Tony Chavella, uh, pitched to me um, a couple of years ago when the Giants were going to the Super Bowl. It was a fun story. And uh, they had turned their... Um, uh, re the retirement home that he represents into a big Giants party. And um, so, you know, we were looking for something to play off of, uh, uh, off of the Super Bowl trip. And we went up there and did that. And, um, you know, it was just it was something, you're not always looking for the serious stories. You're not always looking for the Sandy stories. And uh, that one really stands out to me right now. It's a fun story. And they don't it, come along very often. It was a fun often. story. And I thank Tony for that. Uh, <laughs> But then Tony also knows there are many stories that he pitched to me that got nowhere. No, no response. Never heard of you before. Any other uh, memorable ones in the last year or two stand out? Like, wow, that was a, a fun one to do. So I, I wouldn't know if it's. I wouldn't say it's fun, but it, memorable. It was a you know good. It just all the things that came out of the hurricane were you know doing those personal stories. Uh, I interviewed a woman. Somebody told me about this woman. Uh, you know, she her she is her house was completely flooded away uh, in Long Branch. Um, 
and she was living basically in a trailer next to her house, like parked in her driveway. And she probably has been in this trailer. I think she just moved back in. Um, but she was probably in that trailer for like four and a half, five months. So, like, I, you know, I went there and I sat in there with her and kind of saw what she was living with. So, um, so then that wasn't, you know, a public relations person that uh, pitched that story. It was actually a councilwoman in Long Branch. But um, that's something that was memorable. I mean, you really kind of you felt for that person sitting in there with them, talking to them, um, you know, seeing them. They, it, it was maybe like a month after it happened, so they were very emotional and everything. And um, so that's, that kind of stands out to me, one of the – and it ended up being a nice story because you heard she was actually saved by her. Her son came and got her out of the house because she chose not to leave like a lot of people did, um, thinking, you know, nothing was going to happen to them, that they were, you know, far enough away from the water. So um, that's definitely a memorable, recent memorable story that was pitched to me that I followed up on and wrote a nice story with. The most recent that I can think of is, um, it, it was from a public relations person, but I, I don't know exactly who or from where. Well, we'll start, maybe we'll find out. But um, it's, uh, a, it was a local hero in Tom's River who um, actually stayed in his home in Normandy Beach and rescued neighbors. Um, and that, we, we recently had that in the paper a couple weeks ago. Um, but he told a story and, and you know, we spoke to um, the friend of his who had called and asked him to rescue his sister down the street. And it was a very compelling story. But that was pitched by um, a public relations company that this guy, uh, his com- you know, represents his company. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was, that was wonderful. Uh, those kinds of those kinds of um, those stories sell well in this time, but on, unfortunately, on a day in and day out, good news doesn't sell. You know, they they, they want to see trauma and stuff in the paper. That's you know, if you if you lead stories and everything's wonderful and everything else, the, at least what I'd always read, this the stories don't sell as well as the bad news. Yeah, but that's um, depressing. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, though. I think one story that uh, really stands on my mind that I wrote was uh, it came out of my Howell Bee, and there was these two abandoned boys out of Howell that uh, their parents just decided to up and leave and uh, leave the kids and emptied out the rest of their house. And uh, these neighbors ended up taking them in, and then with, along with the state, the state was going to take the boys away again from the neighbors who these boys ended up starting to call mom and dad and it was a very emotional story but the new family didn't have the financial means so they were really seeking you know, aid and, and just furniture and everything for these boys that had nothing and had already lost their parents and they didn't want to lose another family and uh, once that story came out there was just such a such an outpour of support from the community just you know emailing me and emailing the public relations uh, spokeswoman for that story just really wanting to help and donate beds and and donate food and anything that they could for this family so I remember that yeah that was a, that was a good story um I Tony generally yeah we, we turned you down a lot but actually um he uh he pitched one of your um, residents of world war ii vet and had a story to tell and um we were in one of the anniversary modes and, and i think that was just touching and and um had you not reached out we wouldn't have known we, right. we just it was not front of center to us 
Um, and I think about that one. And I just think about the Sandy stories, um, reuniting a family found a plaque um, that w had been attached to a bench honoring someone's dad and, oh, um, yeah, yeah, and reuniting them with the family. Um, that wasn't a, a, a press uh, agency, or, I'm sorry, a, a public relations agency, but I remember that being thrown to us and it just turned out really well. Let me just say something since we beat up on Tony a little bit. Um, but, but he's a good example of persistence and how persistence pays. Uh, yeah, most of his things we don't get to. Uh, maybe they're too light, maybe there's some more serious news going on at the time. But they're generally good human interest stories as a general rule. And it is that persistence that eventually will get the story done. Um, you know, even if, even if there are a lot of strikeouts for him, there, you know, there are enough hits. And I would, all, I would say to everybody here, if you're in the pitching mode, don't get discouraged. Uh, just keep trying. And, you know, sometimes we'll hit. I mean, we do get, uh, I'm sure on the management desks, uh, you know, Sally and Allison get a gazillion stories every day. I don't necessarily get a gazillion pitches every day. But you know my response, my personal responsibility is basically all of New Jersey, and uh, along with Pat Battle, three days a week. So, you know, there's only so much I can do. I I can't do a Tony Chalvella's story, you know, every time he pitches it. I've got other stuff I've got to worry about in the state. But, you know, don't give up on us. Is there a line they cross between persistent and the other side of the fence? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cutting you I was off. Be, I was going to be more diplomatic. No. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Um, calling every single day about an event that's three weeks from now or two weeks from now is not helpful. Um, having the savviness to understand, like, if you had called me on Monday when the events Monday afternoon in Boston happened, um, that just would have been insane. Uh, so understand that there's a larger world out there. And although, yes, we're a hyper-local channel, we were looking for those New Jersey runners who were participating in the marathon and, and other elements, and so that was not a day to pitch. Um, one of the things that um, I experienced, and Brian's done a great job of saying, you know, he's one guy covering the state. Um, we have a news organization that uh, we stripped down um, staffing on the weekends, and none of us have you know, the size of organizations, what they once were, once upon a time. So if we can't get to something and we wind up canceling, it's for a legitimate reason. Um, we are not sitting there, and I'm not sitting at my desk trying to purposely, you know, screw someone over. And so calling my people, not even me, but calling my people later that afternoon um, or the next day to yell at them because we did not attend your event is just not helpful. Um, I don't call you in your office and yell at you. Um, so it, sometimes we just cannot physically get there. We have stripped down crews, and sometimes there are other priorities, and they flux at the last minute. Um, and so that can be, I, I will get occasionally a call, but I drag the president out for this. But we're probably not interested in talking to the president of the organization. Anyway, we wanted to talk to the person affected. How did um, this event change that person's life if you built a new playground? I, d I don't need the construction manager uh, who put the playground in place. I need the mom. Um, so I, I think it's an understanding that. Uh, because I, I still get quite a lot of people that just get incensed 
and um, I wind up, uh, I get to field all those calls. Can I send some of them to you? No. <laughs> You're so expert at handling them, though. A any other don'ts? Oh, there are a lot of don'ts. Within reason. <laughs> you guys? Don't. Uh, for if you're pitching hyperlocal, make sure it's hyperlocal. I, mean, I get so many things from just like I don't even know. I, I get stuff from like Georgia sometimes or California. I'm like, what, you know, why? Like, and it's like I read through it and it's like about you know. One time it was like a Georgia golf course hosting a, a fundraiser. I'm like, what does this have to do with anything that I cover? So I mean, it's it's just things like just you know, no no. I think some people just, they must get our names and then just send it out to everybody that's, oh God, yes. you know, the email list. So, it, you know. Do you know how many emails I get from uh, some <laughs> cosmetics uh, yeah. PR firm in, in New York about, yeah. oh, the latest makeup specials? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> Valence will be doing makeup for free for ladies at yeah. Macy's. Yeah. And this affects me how? Yeah. That's the thing. Just kind of know who you're know the type of organization you're pitching to and what type of events they usually cover. Uh, that would be a big just do and a do not if, uh, in the other case, like you said, if you are a cosmetic organization in New York, trying to pitch to a Jersey Shore, you know, oriented site like mine. So, I'll, I'll do a, a do. Um, as we fracture as an industry, do know what the various outlets you want to pitch, what they do, how they do it, and when they do it. Um, a good example is there are certain feature stories that I would probably never touch working for Channel 4, but that might end up on our Saturday Today in New York broadcast because it has some feature-oriented space. Uh, just like you wouldn't necessarily send a food recipe story to Gina, at the newspaper, but you would look for the food editor of the Asbury Park Press, um, or uh, Walt on your side at News 12, or Kane on your side at News 12. Uh, you know, he he's a problem solver. If you have an issue, uh, maybe with the local government or uh, with a, a merchant, um, same thing for us. <coughs> Study, and and I would say this for all the TV stations. Just take uh, take the time to look at their various newscasts and what kind of stories they put in their various local presentations, be it their morning show during the week, their morning show on the weekend, their uh, noon show, the five and six p.m. news as a general rule. Oh, Channel four, also, uh, Channel seven rather has a four o'clock newscast, which is a little more feature oriented, I believe. Than although I, I never really get to watch it because uh, I'm usually out on the road, but uh, or crashing on my own story. Uh, and then you have an eleven o'clock newscast. Well, let's say you have a nighttime event. Uh, maybe it's a fundraiser for American Cancer Society or something like that. Well look at the 11 o'clock news on the various local newscasts, do you really expect that New York is going to send a photographer and a reporter down to the you know 50th annual American Red Cross uh, banquet that features um, even Governor Christie, um, you know, at 7.30, 8 o'clock in Manalapan on a Thursday night? Does that even begin to fit into what they do uh, and yet for you to 
to waste everybody's time by by hounding them saying hey we got governor christie coming tonight you know to celebrate the 50th anniversary of uh, you know some worthy cause and i don't mean to diminish it it's just not going to happen it's impractical so it's incumbent upon you to study to work and you know you would you would never go through college without studying your studying doesn't end with the end of your college career. It goes on for the rest of your life. And it is up to you to keep up with what is happening trend-wise, both with the old platforms and the new platforms, uh, to best uh, locate your stories or your information. Yeah, I would ditto that for, um, for print also. Um, you know, deadlines have a big, um, have, have a lot to do with some stories that we, that we just decide not to do because we can't because of the deadlines. Um, you know, there's also um, some stories that, uh, that we would love to do, but if it's on the weekend and um, we, you call us on Friday night, you know, sorry, it's too late. We have, to, we have to plan out our weekend because we only have, you know, a few people on staff. You know, so, um, so a, lot, a lot has to do with you doing your homework and knowing things like that. Um, you know, so, so it is the same for print in that regard. I think um, one thing I notice or just always would like is for it to be accessible. Just always make sure, um, you know, to answer the phone or answer the email. Or There's been plenty of times where I've covered events and then, you know, I'm back at my desk and I'm typing and then I think of something and then I call mm -hmm. the spokesperson again and, or I email them or I text them and just no response. So, um, as, as persistent as you know as much as I appreciate like persistence and wanting to give all the information beforehand I would like I really like when the people are also available afterwards also for follow-up questions yeah I think that's a good uh, two different names two different contacts um, off hours I mean we work uh, Sunday through Saturday uh, around the clock um, there's always someone staffing so uh, if you're only available um, nine to five. It makes it incredibly difficult, particularly if your event is at six. Um, and you know, I can't but help echo what they've said. Just know, know your audience. Um, I had someone pitch me this great program that FiOS was carrying. Um, we're Cablevision. We're owned by Cablevision, and <laughs> that's just not going to work on our air ever. Um, so, I uh, just know your audience, and that's us and and the people that you're working for. I guess I already said my things. So. Okay, um, I'm done with uh, my question, so we let's start. Here, Greg, okay, go ahead. A long time. Do you uh, like to have a photo or a video element to give you a visual in a pitch, or does that just clutter up extra space? Definitely. Yes. Yes. Definitely yes. clutters or definitely? No, definitely. Definitely welcome. It. Definitely it's welcome. it's yes. probably something, if you don't send one, you know, one or both, we'd probably call you back and say, hey, do you have at least a picture of the you know, president of the company or of this thing you're building, whatever it is. So um, definitely always try to do that if you can. And, and for print, please send a high resolution, at least two megabyte photo, JPEG. Trish? Um, I find that the human interest stories are usually much
much easier to oh thank you much easier to I don't think oh, I need it <laughs> um, much easier to um, get you interested in um, I find it much more difficult for the business stories um, and there's so much right now with the business world businesses closing businesses opening businesses trying new angles new things I really would like to know what your thinking is in terms of a pitch to you regarding a business story and what you're looking for um, well, we, the, the business editor is the person that you would pitch the right. story I to. I know that, but I'm just like in terms of your... Um, personal finance, local businesses, uh, trends in whatever area you're uh, representing. Um, if the trend, you know, is mirrored locally, um, things like that. Um, also, if you, if you keep your eye on what is going on in the state or you know whatever and um, give us a local angle to something I mean TV doesn't uh, local TV doesn't do a lot of business stories uh, although I, I used to do that many years ago down in, in North Carolina um, but there's always that possibility. Uh, we almost, uh, uh, APP, Esprit Park Press, uh, a week ago did a story on birdsall engineering and, and uh, their problems. And uh, I had the PR guy for birdsall, you know, pitch me, um, talking about a pitch, and we almost bid on it. And then uh, various things happened, and it just it fell on the priority list. And, what and what I was his pitch? It. We're not that bad? Uh, no, the pitch was the, uh, which was really a good story, uh, was that the uh, workers were showing up without uh, getting paid and, and without, uh, you know, any expectation that they would as they were trying to hold the company together so they could be sold, which it, it now will be, apparently. Um, but, you know, going through the whole bankruptcy and the state uh, freezing their accounts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was a good story. Um, and it was a good story in the Asbury Park Press, and, and it would have made a good TV story as well, because we would have gone in there, and you would have seen 150 people or so hard at work at their desks and, you know, working on uh, Sandy, uh, in many cases, uh, Sandy projects for their municipalities or their private contract, uh, uh, companies. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't quite work out for us. I mean, things do fall through. Tony knows there have been a couple times uh, we almost uh, were able to do something with him and then something else came up. But the human element always makes it interesting. You know, unless you just have a mega business story like, you know, a company coming into New Jersey and it's going to hire 10,000 people or something like that. Uh, but, you know, a, a new startup firm, 100 jobs, no, that's not going to make New York TV. Um, but, you know, the uniqueness uh, in, in our case for TV uh, certainly uh, Sandy-related uh, could have a shot. Doesn't mean we do it automatically, but it could have a shot. It just, it's, you know, there's no hard and fast rule on it other than to say a normal business expansion story uh, for something that's not necessarily trendy uh, is not going to get TV coverage. I think that if you want to move away from just uh, the idea that you're pitching business stories, because frankly, all stories are human interest stories. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you had pitched us uh, and or Birdsall had pitched, you know, Brian and said, um, I can set you up with a guy who's got four kids and an unemployed wife to take care of. He's been showing up to war for the past two weeks. Um, he's not getting paid. Wow. Okay. Uh, where is he? Oh, and by the way, he's down the shore. Um, 
maybe that's a business story, but it's something much more. So I think it may just be, you know, also on how you're viewing what you're trying to get out there, frankly. Hi, I'm Maureen Collins. I'm the Communications Director of Family and Children's Service. And this is sort of a follow-up to that question because I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum when it comes to PR. Our agency, probably 100% of our clients live at the margins of society. And every day I have a phenomenal story to tell about one of our clients. We do a lot of partnerships and our stories involve a lot of corporate goodwill. When you receive a pitch about something that includes a corporation, a hospital, do you prefer to receive the pitch from the agency that is partnering or do you prefer to receive it from the business or corporation that's partnering or is there no preference? Just curious. I I mean... I, I, I know you. And We've spoken before. Yes. So I, the way you've done it before in the past, like I, uh, you, I could just see using a sheep. Maureen pitched me a, uh, an example of a story about a thrift store. It's a nonprofit. They, they, they all their profits go to Family Children Services. And she pitched me a story about how they were basically wiped out by Sandy uh, and were rebuilding. So I ended up writing a story out of that too. So um, I think the way you're doing it was would be fine. I would always prefer to hear from that type of organization, the nonprofit organization, uh, as opposed to if you were working, say if you were working with uh, St. Barnabas you know, Health, which is owns Monmouth Medical Center and everything, I tend to pay more attention to something that comes from your type of an organization than I would from a bigger, you know, corporate giant kind of thing. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, we would, we would tend to um, pay more attention to something that came from the nonprofit. Good. If anyone can't hear the question, just raise your hand and we'll repeat it. Next. Any question over there? Um, I know that you have breaking stories and you also develop stories that you, that you get pitched. Can you talk about the time frames that you do? Are they, are they different between breaking? And uh, what is your revision process on that? Yeah, like, like when you get a, like a breaking story, uh, let's say like the Boston, um, for example, how long does it take you before you actually send it out via Twitter, via Facebook? Uh, as soon as we get something, mm-hmm. we... we tweet it and we put it on Facebook and we, you know, I mean, it's at the second that you hear about something like that, everyone is in, um, you know, breaking news mode. If you can confirm it. Right. Yeah, that's right. another issue. I mean, I mean, seeking sources and, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, if, if we got a Twitter about a tweet, if we got a tweet about an explosion in Boston, um, you know, if it was just from Joe Schmuck, right. no, I would not retweet that, but I would, or an explosion in Monmouth Beach, uh, I would not necessarily retweet it, but it'd be, you know, I'd, I'd look at it and I'd it. be on the phone right away right. and and acting on it that way. But once you get a breaking story, uh, especially of that kind of magnitude, that's when you basically drop everything else that you're doing. Um, and whereas you might have the luxury of time to, to um, well, in TV is, you know, especially, or even in newspapers with deadlines, but uh, our deadline is probably a little earlier than the newspapers. Um, you know, you, you want to get on the air as soon as possible um, if it's really breaking, 
if it's you know if you're if it's ten o'clock in the morning and you're going pointing toward a five o'clock newscast, uh, you know if it's a featureish story, you know normal day that's fine. If it's not, then then yeah, you're tweeting, you're facebooking as as you can confirm the facts. Answer good. Next, come on, I got a whole room of PR. Hi, I was curious about. Um, your thoughts on education stories and stories from local schools. I mean, I'm sure you get hundreds of stories about the great things that kids do um, in Monmouth County. Um, I'm just curious about what would be most interesting to you. I'm from Ranny School in Tinton Falls, and um, I'm just curious about, uh, you talked about the human interest stories, which I think is probably a good angle, but what else is of interest? I mean, I, I'm, I think those are the type, for my type of a publication, for Patch, I'm, a lot of our readership that we've been told is, is um, you know, mothers, you know, maybe not just always, but maybe stay-at-home moms, people like that. Um, and they're always interested in things that are going on in the schools because chances are they have children in the, in the district. So um, it can be a school. I, I, I tend to like to write the school story, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little more broad. But um, it depends on what it is. Like, I wouldn't say, like, the play, like the school play. That's not something that's as much of a, a standout or a speaker coming to the school. It's more if they're starting some kind of new program at the school. Uh, I know with like Long Branch, they had uh, kind of expanded. You know, they have a, you know, they have Spanish people, they have Portuguese, so they have um, a very, you know, they have a lot of people that speak a lot of different languages. So I wrote a story about their a teacher who kind of oversees that whole department and some of the challenges and the rewarding aspects of the job so um, kind of finding something that's unique about your school and then pitching that uh, is something I always look for in, in a school story I think the challenge for us is um, a lot of times we'll get pitched a, a school story or a related story and maybe it's a program in the magnet school that's going really well but we'll get the pitch um, and it'll be after two in the afternoon and school's out or we uh, you know the schools normally obtain the permission um, for the kids because we are video. And so we need to have the, the child and the parent willing to talk to us. Um, and we just run into a lot of roadblocks was not allowed in or the permissions weren't obtained or it's not visually. You know, sometimes there's only so many ways you can shoot inside the classroom if we're talking about testing, which isn't really something that we're going to probably come out and do a full package on. Um, so sometimes it's just getting through those hurdles to get to that little kernel of um, something great that you guys are working on. Yeah. I, I agree with Chris with the, um, you know, with, with Howell, you know, they have nine elementary schools and three middle schools. So there's constantly a lot of different programs going on. But I really look for something that's, that's brand new in the district or um, just something really unique that the students are accomplishing. You know, Howell just implemented full-day kindergarten for the first time ever in the history. Um, their choir just went to the All-Eastern Honors Chorus up in Connecticut. So things like that that are really unique, not really as much as the traditional annual events that are happening. Right. Uh, you know, of course, we have schools all across the tri-state um, that are sometimes pitching and sometimes not. Um, I found out a couple of years ago uh, about Long Branch going to iPads uh, eventually for everybody above, I don't know, fourth grade or something like that. I can't, I can't remember now. Um, and they were starting with the middle school, I believe. And um, 
this was pretty new. There had maybe been a couple of stories uh, nationwide about schools starting to go to iPads, um, but it wasn't a well-accepted uh, concept at the time. So I did a story on that, uh, and it was a very good story, uh, very positive, obviously. Um, but you know, to say on a uh, and and we're always looking for unique stories like that, uh, but. Uh, to uh, you know, to kind of reemphasize what Gina said, we're not looking for the the annual winner of the uh, spelling bee in the fifth grade class, or even in the school sort of thing. That's just not going to make New York TV because I've got how many thousands of schools out there. So for uh, for the New York TV stations anyway, I mean, you know, News 12 is a little bit, you know, the. the the levels of interest, you know, vary depending on how big the the market is. Um, they may do a story on school funding in New Jersey that we might not do, uh, only because nobody in New York cares about school funding in New Jersey. Um, you know, uh, that gives you kind of an idea of of how we perceive our different audiences. Yes, and I would say um, it also depends on um, how many people would be interested in that story. So, for example, the Rainy School it would be the students and families that attend. Um, unless it were some big thing like, for example, um, what Brian said about the whole school, fourth graders getting iPads and it's unusual. And that kind of thing we may do. Um, we also would tend to do more stories on public schools than, than private schools, um, just because our audience, you know, that's a wider audience. So. I will say this, if, if you have a school that's every student is being made to Twitter, or tweet, if it, I'll be there, okay, just give me a call. All right, that's a great story. Right. If you're going to make every student tweet, I want to be there on that day, okay? That hasn't happened already, no? <laughs> Next. Questions? Come on, people. we got a good panel up here. Hi. This is with schooling in mind, and particularly to you, Gina, also. Uh, one of the things I do is I'm a professor at Kane University, and I teach advertising, marketing, and communications. And my students are hungry. They were fascinated by what all of you walk your talk on, and they would love any nuggets of how you were so savvy from a graduating class of 2012 and my kids walking their walk in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's, they're a great group of smart young people, and uh, I'm one of the dinosaurs along there with my other fellow dinosaur up there, but I love working with your age, and I said, this is the direction to go because it's been communications and marketing and advertising and PR is a fascinating, very, very incredibly uh, wonderful field to get into, and I encourage them all to pursue it. So how would you address it for them? And then for my other ones, how would you pursue it? Yeah, um, I think, you know, and I notice this with all the Monmouth students that, you know, I work so closely with, especially when I worked at the college newspaper, and uh, just to keep that excitement growing and to keep that hunger and uh, to don't give up, because I know there's a lot of people that kind of, you know, throw their negative to negativity towards the media and and you know you're it's it's not a good path to go down but if you have that passion for it you have to you, you have to follow it because you're not going to be happy doing anything else so i think that's really important for them to always remember do what makes them happy so they can approach the you know asbury park press they can approach the patch the, anything like that they approach all the medias because 
they would love to be a part of your energy. They really would. I think that you should tell them to, um, to think big, of course, but to start small. You know, go to their local paper, their local patch, um, and see if they can do some freelance stories, uh, things like that. I think I echo that too. Don't be afraid to start small. I mean, I, you know, like many of us probably, I interned at a place when I was a junior in college, and they liked what I did, so they ended up, you know, deciding to keep me, and that led to another job, and that led to another, a little better job, and I've been fortunate enough to, you know, go up in the, you know, I guess my, my pay grade or whatever, so, which is what everybody hopes and wants, but it's not always that easy. So, like I said, just call you know if you're coming out of college call your local newspaper even if you think oh there there's no way they'd hire me there's no maybe they'll take you on as an intern and then somebody else that is willing to pay you will see the work you've done and take you on so i know the patch saved my friend's business uh she's a florist and something went wrong with a major delivery and then she put it out on the patch in eatontown Mm -hmm. and as a result of your business it was awesome there you go because of yours Oh, thank you. <laughs> Power of media. Another happy client. Next, Kristen? Yes, I'm in the health communications focus. And my question is, when you're doing a general story and you need an expert local opinion from a physician, say it's a new cardiology procedure and you want a cardiologist's opinion, or it's a seasonal allergies and you need, a new al- you need an allergist's opinion on it, how do you get another physician into your stable of experts? What's the best way to approach that? I would say um, for you to pitch a story about allergy season and offer your local expert before allergy season hits. Mm-hmm. You know, be on top of it. <laughs> but really, be, be on top of it and, and send it to, um, pitch it to the right people. Um, but, but that's also, uh, you know, if you, if you keep your eye on the news on what's happening, breaking yeah. news. You know, like the, um, the Jackson coach that had a sudden MI and, and died. Um, if, if you immediately emailed the Jackson reporter, that person's editor, um, and said, you know, uh, I have a cardiologist who can speak about uh, why this happens, how this happens, what could have prevented it, you know. Um, so if you stay really on top of the news and immediately pitch something local, even, um, even, if, even contribute content, even something that perhaps that cardiologist could, could write a little thing that it may not make it in the paper, but it, it'll make it online. Or, um, you know, we might use a quote from it. Uh, you know, we might call him for a quote, but then have something more online. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, we didn't use it. But we could easily have, if, if we were looking to go, go that route, uh, I guess it was yesterday I got emails both from Hackensack University Medical Center uh, offering a trauma expert uh, and Robert Wood Johnson uh, Medical Center in New Brunswick. And I got an email from Kessler about rehabilitation for these you know, people who uh, lost their limbs, um, offering expertise on that. Again, we didn't use it. But there have been occasions where we have used pitches like that. That's staying on top of the news, knowing that you can make somebody available, and then putting them up uh, uh, for an opportunity. And, and again, the availability is key. Uh, it's not necessarily strictly the nine to five. I mean, a lot of time. I mean, they they're in surgery where they have 
you know, lives and things like that. But, no, I demand that they stop <laughs> surgery if we're going to do an interview. Um, but, but you know, I'm surprised because a lot of times we'll get pitches and someone offering up X, Y, and Z, um, but then we find out, well, he's not available or she's not available or, oh, no, how's next Wednesday for you? Oh, well, if we're talking about Monday's traumatic injuries next Wednesday, that's definitely not going to happen. So um, knowing that the person that you have selected is um, in in our case maybe a little more television savvy uh, who's going to answer in more than yes no answers um, answer to questions like that and who's available Um, a lot of times we'll get pitched with names and circumstances and then we place the call and maybe even if we can get out there tonight it'll be tonight at 7 o'clock and we're told well no we can't make that happen for you Uh, one last time we've got one last question that good? Okay, uh, a couple brief things. Uh, Steve? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, you mentioned Facebook and Twitter. Are there any other social media elements that you use at all, like YouTube, Google Plus, Link- LinkedIn, podcast? <laughs> uh, we do not, but we are um, planning to. <laughs> Anything that we possibly can do, we're, we're Gannett Corporation is going to do. So whatever comes out, you know, they're really. Um, really uh, putting a lot of resources behind all new media. And let me just uh, refer to the power of social media. And it's kind of a funny thing. I will say this about Twitter. Uh, I think it is not as powerful as we think it is sometimes. Uh, the actual number of, I mean, I have something like uh, close to 3,000 followers now, which isn't, you know, especially big, it isn't especially small, Um, but when I put a post a picture, for example, I I might get 100 views. A year and a half ago, when I had half as many followers, I'd easily get 150, 180 views. Uh, so something's happening to Twitter right now that I don't fully understand, but I think it's just this explosion of so many people on Twitter and you following so much, unless you spend your entire day looking at your Twitter feed, I, I don't really understand how you can you know, keep up with what's going on. Uh, Facebook, I find to be more engaging than Twitter. If I had to pick between the two of them, from my experience, uh, just as an example, I, I posted uh, a picture of the Mac, uh, and I do this little feature on my Facebook page, Where in New Jersey Am I? I've started this about a month ago. It's a good way to interact with people, and um, I had a couple people actually guess that it was the Mac, uh, one of whom works over at the Alumni House, apparently. Uh, <laughs> not quite sure. You know, somebody said Livingston, uh, maybe a school in Livingston or something like that, but you know, the number of people actually comment uh, versus people who at least look at the post. I've in in what two hours now. I've had 331 people actually look at that post. Um, that gives you an idea of the to me anyway that Facebook is is the more effective of the two right now. That's just my observations. And there's more back and forth. And there's more chance for yeah. back and forth. Uh, regardless of the 140 characters, that doesn't bother me so much. I can, I can just about write an entire story in 140 characters. You know, it's like <laughs> a couple of headlines in the Asbury Park Press or uh, you know whatever. But um, yeah, that, that, those are that's what I see. Interesting. Steve, podcast will be uh, this. This podcast will be at uh, lubetkin.net. You can come to me if you want to get the uh, coordinates. Mm-hmm. 
Can the uh, a couple of days. I'm sorry. Can the uh, speakers stay stay around for a little bit and maybe add some personal questions? I want to thank Monmouth University, PRSA, and Jasper for sponsoring and supporting the uh, today's event. We also, if you have any interest, Monmouth University has a great graduate program. Uh, uh, Dr. McAllister is over yonder if you have any questions about it. And Jasper has an event next month coming up. Watch your email. Chris, PRSA coming up? Where's Chris? Oh, PRSA got something coming up? Yeah, if you registered online for Jasper, we're going to send you an email for a survey monkey asking you how you liked our program today and what we can do to improve our programs. Uh, we're really thanking uh, Jasper for this opportunity. It's our first official co-sponsored event. We hope to do more of these in the future where we actually bring PRSA New Jersey and Jasper together and we try to double our membership and double our attendance and in the interest of our members, of course. So be on the lookout in your email for the lubetkin.net podcast link which I'm going to send you, as well as a survey monkey, just asking you 10 questions on how you guys like today and just thanking you for an amazing program and our panelists that just did an excellent job. Chris and I ran into each other last year when I was president of Jasper, and we said one of the events we have to do is we have to get a group together and co-sponsor an event. It took us a year to do that, so we're, we're right on the cutting edge of everything. But thank you all very much for coming up. Appreciate your patience. Have a wonderful day. And that will wrap things up for this edition of the Lubetkin on Communications podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program. If you have comments or suggestions about these programs, please write to us. My email address is steve at lubetkincommunications.com. For more information about the New Jersey chapter of the Public Relations Society of America, you can visit prsanj.org. And for information about the Jersey Shore Public Relations and Advertising Association, visit jspraa.com. We produce these programs in the studios of Lubetkin Global Communications in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, on the web at lubetkin.net. For everyone at the Jersey Shore Public Relations and Advertising Association, the New Jersey chapter of PRSA, and the communications faculty at Monmouth University in West Long Branch on the web at monmouth.edu, this is Steve Lubeck, and thank you for joining us, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.